Welcome to Debased, a show about the current state of money with Jeff Dunst. Good afternoon, everybody. Good evening. Great to be with all of you on a Friday afternoon or evening. Hope everybody's doing great. My name is Jeff Dice from Monetary Metals. We do a Twitter space every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern, and I, I'm sure that this audience uh, is, is fully aware that Javier Malay down in Argentina has caused quite a, uh, at least a Twitter kerfuffle, if not a broader uh, geopolitical kerfuffle, at least as far as Latin America goes. Uh, we got some great guests to talk about this today. I'll, I'll introduce them as they come on. Uh, but as we're waiting for people to arrive, I uh, had a bunch of uh, signups beforehand and waiting perhaps for a few of our additional speakers to arrive. I just wanted to give a little bit of background from my perspective. Uh, obviously, people on this call are probably fairly like-minded about uh, libertarian populist uprisings, and especially as those uprisings relate to central banking and inflation, which are two enormous factors in Latin America and are starting to feel like an enormous factor here in the United States, where we've been far more fortunate to be somewhat um, immune from the bufferings of bad inflationary and debt crises. We've had a relatively strong dollar, and obviously we have had uh, here in the U.S. anywhere, anyway, and in Western Europe, more material prosperity than Argentina, perhaps, over the past several decades. Uh, but as we examine what uh, the Malay phenomenon represents, whether it's real, whether it's astroturfed, whether he's really a neocon, I mean, there's all kinds of ways we could look at it. But as we think about it, uh, first of all, I think we need to go into this discussion understanding that background of just what the Argentines have been through. I mean, not only are they experiencing uh, difficult times at present, but uh, those of us of a certain age who remember the, the heyday of blogs, let's say the late 90s and early 2000s, will remember, especially the 2001 Argentine crisis, where they had both a, a, a debt default uh, by their federal government, but also a currency crisis. And there was a famous blogger at the time. Some of you may remember this name. His name was Fernando Aguirre, and he went by Furfall. And his blog, he's still active, it blew up simply because he was talking and writing about the day-to-day -day depredations, the security the crime, the lawlessness, the having to go to a, a mall that was protected by security, you know, answering your front door by opening a second story window and seeing who was there. I mean, uh, the unemployment, the ATM shutdowns, all these things that occurred in Argentina during what was really a, a depression from about 1998 to, to the early 2000s there. Uh, we haven't experienced anything like that. With the, where the economy actually shrank about 28% over a period of, of three or four years. We haven't experienced anything like that across the Northern Hemisphere West. Uh, and, and so when the Western media, and particularly the U.S. media, want to poopah or, or be dismissive towards a populist revolution or uprising in El Salvador or uh, you know, Brazil, as we had with Bolsonaro, uh, or you know, I think we should take that with a grain of salt and also, we don't have the best understanding in the U.S. of the um, political system in Argentina. I mean, it is a federal system. They do have a separation between the same three branches as us. They do have a four-year term for the president. Of course, all uh, Javier Malay has done, which, which is a lot, but all he's done so far is win a primary 
which places him perhaps as the front runner in the general presidential election in October. And under Argentine rules, in federal elections, you have to get at least 50% or face a runoff. So uh, I don't know, maybe the, uh, the more milk toast people on the right would, would vote for him. Maybe they wouldn't. But I, what really annoys me perhaps more than anything is this idea that the Western media can immediately label this gentleman as far right. Um, that, that's irritating. But he said some great things. He's had some truly incredible libertarian populist rhetoric about socialism, about central bankers, about government agencies. Uh, so there's a lot to take in with this guy. And he's kind of got a, a brunette version of Boris Johnson or something going. He's got this incredible eccentric haircut, which I, I think adds to the story in a way. But um, I know our friend Daniel Calle, the great economist from Spain. He's the chief economist at Tresis. I know many of you follow him. He, he recently spent a fair bit of time in Argentina. He probably has his finger on the pulse of how bad the economy is and also knows uh, Javier Malay. So I thought maybe we'd open it up to Daniel and just ask him, you know, for, first of all, Daniel, thank you. Can, can you tell us how, what economic conditions are like down there and how uh, Javier managed to arise perhaps as a result? Hi, thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, thank you, thank you for inviting me to this to this panel. Um, I was very, very recently in Argentina. I travel quite frequently, and I'm a good friend of Javier Milei. And the situation in Argentina is absolutely atrocious. Uh, for any developed economy, it is an aberration, a monetary aberration. There are more than ten official exchange rates to the dollar, which means basically that the government steals the dollars that uh, exporters generate uh, or anybody generates with an exchange rate that that obviously makes absolutely no sense. Uh, furthermore, the level of inflation is so insane that you go to a restaurant and you try to pay with a credit card and the people at the restaurant will give you a 20 to 40 percent discount if you pay in cash because they lose so much money just waiting a month to receive the same money. Um, so it is, it is truly dire, 100% inflation, 39% poverty. The, and what has happened in, in Argentina is literally the implementation to the T of all of those policies that we hear all the time uh, under the umbrella of so-called progressiveness. It's intervention in the economy, it's price controls, it is expropriation and nationalization of industries, and it is the printing money for the people policy. The Central Bank of Argentina monetizes the entire uh, deficit of the country, and on top of that, which is the big issue that Javier Milei or anybody that wins the elections will face. On top of that, it includes in its balance sheet a massive amount of remunerated debt that in essence becomes more monetary printing uh, in the future. Hence, the, it, it, it is, let's say, an inflation bomb that each subsequent president leads to the next this is basically what hurt the previous uh, uh, conservative uh, or, or center-right uh, 
president, Mr. Macri, he received this monetary bombshell in the in these um, bonds that are called the Leliques that were that accounted for more than 14% of the GDP of the of the country. And therefore, the the inflationary spiral continued. No, uh, in the bet between 2007, when the Kirchner uh, socialist uh, 21st century socialist government started to today, the the uh, accumulated money supply growth of the Central Bank of Argentina is more than 13%, 13,000%. We're talking about a central bank that increases basic money supply by about 70 to 90% per annum, but we must include those uh, instruments that I just mentioned, the remunerated debt of the Central Bank of Argentina. If we do that, the money supply growth in Argentina since 2007 is similar, is, is actually higher than that of Venezuela. And that's why it is uh, in a situation that in which the, the currency is basically worthless. Nobody wants the peso. Mm -hmm. Citizens that receive pesos in their salary try to do whatever they can to convert them to dollars or any other currency. And, uh, and the country, which is a very, very rich country that today should be one of the leading growth economies in Latin America because it has everything that the world is demanding, is a country that is completely obliterated by this uh, so-called inclusive monetary policy. What I find completely uh, in sense is, is this idea now that the media are calling this uh, far right or a movement that goes against uh, the system, etc. No, what Mr. Millet is saying is, something that is not just logical, ending the central bank of Argentina perverse incentive to monetize this monster deficit is obviously logical. But what he is proposing is completely logical policies of uh, that we have in, in, in most liberal economies. The, the reality is that what is anti-system and far left is what the Argentines have uh, suffered throughout all of these years and and it's and and I come back to the point this is not a this is this is not a poor country that is suffering from numerous uh, problems created throughout the years this is a very rich country with very high human capital that is being literally decimated by uh, interventionist policies Daniel, when you say they have everything the world wants in terms of resources, apart from human capital, what explain what you mean. Well, think about this. We're in the middle of, a, of an energy crisis. We're in the middle of a food crisis. Argentina was a country that uh, provided food and provided energy to the world for decades. Argentina is a country that has absolutely everything in terms of grain, for example. I find it amazing that in the middle of an energy crisis and a food crisis like the one that we live in because of the Ukraine invasion, we uh, see Argentina implementing price controls and production cuts. So, uh, so meat, soja, 
uh, grain, oil. There is, is a very, very rich uh, uh, in resources nation, and uh, and it's and and again, this cepo cambiario, which is uh, the the exchange rate uh, uh, limitation that the government uh, enforces, obliterates anyone that wants to export because basically what it does is that imagine that any of the exporters uh, sell some of their products in dollars, the dollars that they receive have to be exchanged uh, at the central bank at an exchange rate that is completely uh, illogical and nothing to do with the reality of the market. So basically those exporters lose uh, their revenues it's basically an inflationary, a massive inflationary tax. And on top of that, they have to suffer as well because their costs, which tend to be also in dollars, they cannot, they cannot even uh, get the resources to function properly. So a country that is so rich, as I mentioned before, is seeing their industries that could be delivering the products that, and the, and that everybody demands uh, shutting down. The agricultural sector is being obliterated. The energy sector is obliterated. Anyone that has invested in energy in Argentina knows that you put a dollar in exploration and you lose uh, three in the uh, inflationary and the fiscal tax. So, so it is truly uh, an extractive and confiscatory type of system in which a very... Uh, a very wealthy uh, political elite are constantly telling the people that they are going to give them enormous subsidies in a local currency that is constantly depreciated, therefore making the citizens that remain in the country uh, literally hostages of the, of the government and dependent on the government, and at the same time, uh, creating this fallacy of a social network that uh, delivers no positives to any citizen because it only creates poor people, 18 million poor people. And when we talk about poverty, it's extreme poverty. It's not what we consider poverty in the United States or in a developed economy. Daniel, is this as bad as late 90s, early 2000s? It is, it is worse, and I'll tell you why. In the late 90s and early 2000s, it was a situation of, that required uh, a drastic solution, but had a drastic solution and a quick recovery uh, sort of endgame. The problem here is that this monster hidden inflation machine that is the Lelix uh, and the Levax, the, these these bonds that I mentioned that are hidden in the in the balance sheet of the central bank, is that the next uh, the next government is going to have to make first a monster devaluation the. The, the, the difference between the official exchange rate in Argentina versus the real exchange rate, which is called the dollar blue, or the, or the closest to the exchange rate, is so wide that it's going to require a very, very significant uh, long-term plan. And that's where gradualism, 
which was the mistake of the Macri administration, doesn't work because the problem is so huge that uh, you need to you need to really make, take drastic measures. And the drastic measures that Javier is uh, is proposing, I, I'm, I imagine that most of the people that are listening today find them completely logical. The first one, obviously, is to dollarize. And, the, and, and many people say that dollarizing would make people lose rights, but that makes no sense because they have no right whatsoever than to be poor. But, but the most important thing is that dollarization is not just inevitable, is that it's the only option because they don't have a viable currency. You go to, Argent you go to Argentina, nobody wants pesos. They don't have it's it's a completely failed currency. Wow. So they need so so it's much worse than them in that in that sense. And that's why uh, the Argentines have voted for somebody that for the first time has not sugarcoated the problem to the citizens. The problem in the last, uh, and I've been going to Argentina for, oh gosh, 30, 35 years. The problem has always been that the Argentines have been told that um, everything can be done gradually. But uh, obviously it just got worse and worse and worse. Uh, so what Javier Millet has done for the first time is to tell people, is it's the first time that they've heard a politician say what they see every day in their in their day to day life, you know. So how do you how do you know Malay? How did you meet him? What's he like? Has he has he read Austrian economics? He is uh, he is what we would call a uh, what we would consider uh, a free market libertarian somebody that has been very, very vocal in television and in the media saying that the state is the problem, not the solution. He is, uh, uh, he is, he's very, very well uh, versed and, and he's very knowledgeable about economics and he's always mentioning uh, Rothbard and uh, Austrian economists that uh, as, 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 his key drivers of of what the economic policy uh, is is uh, he is he has created. No, um, uh, he uh, and the thing about him is that he has created a persona, the hair that you just mentioned, the very vehement and very aggressive media personality that says uh, that talks with. Uh, with no <laughs> type of diplomacy whatsoever, etc. But he is uh, first and foremost an, an intellectual, second a realist. He he knows that the situation in Argentina is extremely complicated, and it needs to be uh, and it needs to to come from a long term plan. And he knows that the people in the center right or in the uh, or in the more moderate parties that agree with him need to wake up to the reality of the uh, monetary and fiscal disaster that Argentina is facing. And I think that uh, 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 
when did I meet him first? Uh, I met him uh, first through different uh, conferences in which we participated. He was at the time uh, an economist that uh, was extremely popular in the media and not didn't have any political inclinations, um, but was extremely popular in the media because he popularized two terms. No, the first one is the 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 the, ter- the the idea that the central bank of Argentina needs to be shut down. The second one. Is that is this concept of the politicos chorros? He says, no, the 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 uh, imbecile politicians. No, mm-hmm. so if, if, so I think that all of that has uh, there is he has a big following among the people that have found that the situation is uh, is impossible to solve with. Uh, with with sort of gradual or small uh, measures, it, 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 maintaining the the status quo is not an option. What I find atrocious is that the media is considering this as radical and has not mentioned ever the monstrosity and the real radical policies that have been uh, implemented in Argentina under the disguise of the socialism of the 21st century. That's why it's so important to differentiate it from the bad times of the early 2000s, because the bad times of the early 2000s were sort of wake-up calls about a monetary imbalance. This is not a wake-up call. This is a tsunami that is that has been that is currently more than fourteen percent of GDP in uh, in this bombshell hidden in the balance sheet of the Central Bank of Argentina. So you say he's an intellectual. I mean, realistically, what could he do? Were were he to win, and when you say they need to dollarize, hmm. yeah, using the dollar just like. Uh, uh, some other countries have just adopted the dollar when their own central banks were that far gone. What what could he realistically do? Well, uh, the the dollarization process would be would not be too complicated. Uh, Ecuador, El Salvador, Panama have done it. They would do it as well. But obviously, dollarizing without uh, the reason why they have such monster uh, monetary issue is because obviously there's a monster fiscal. Uh, problem. No, mm-hmm. the, the the Argentine government is spending not just more than they uh, than they earn in taxes. Is that they spend more than the increase in inflation. So it's so it's it's a so they they he needs to implement a very drastic fiscal. Uh, a fiscal program of adjustment, a big adjustment in in spending. And think about this. In Argentina, 57% of the provinces have not just more, but massively more public uh, workforce than private workforce. The public workforce in Argentina has increased 10 times faster than the private workforce in the last, uh, in the 2007 to 2022 period. So, uh, so you know, uh, he needs to implement a an austerity program. B, end the cepo cambiario, this this exchange rate uh, uh, clasp that that they have implemented. He needs to uh, make 
uh, a big adjustment that allows the country to export and open its economy instead of closing it, which has happened in the last years. So it's going to require the agreement of the centre-right and even probably part of the centre-left. Um, so is it going to be easy? It is not going to be easy. But to be fairly honest, uh, it, it, there was some sort of, I remember being, when I was in Buenos Aires the last time, you know, one hour away from, uh, by plane, they have a country that is growing, that has much less unemployment, that doesn't have that level of poverty, even, even close to that level, and that has 10 times less inflation, which is Uruguay. So they know that the problem is that the elephant in the room is the, the monetary system in Argentina. So I think that the difference now from the early 2000s is that um, there is a widespread understanding that uh, this cannot be sugar-coated. 100% inflation is going to go to 300% when the leaks, the Levax and the Passos, and the Passes, sorry, um, start, to, start to mature. So... I think that it's the difference right now is that the population sees that the I remember that historically when I used to go to Argentina, there was always a debate. You would talk with somebody in the car, in a taxi, in a restaurant, uh, you talk with people. And some, some people would say, well, we have 30% inflation, but it's going to come down because the government is doing the right thing, blah, 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 blah. But, but now it's not 30%. Now it's 100%. And 100% inflation in CPI. And remember, as you all know here in this, in this chat, I'm sure, that CPI tends to underestimate inflation. Because when you go to a restaurant where you used to pay 6,000 pesos for a, for a steak, and now you pay 12,000, and it's only, been, it's only been a few months, you know that inflation is not 100%. So just so people understand, when, when gov governments try to uh, mandate an exchange rate between their currency and any other, but often the U.S. dollar, markets just come up with a bunch of different exchange rates depending on the actual good or service being transacted in the real world. Is that basically what happens? Well, no. What happens is that the government sets a... Uh, an exchange rate, an official exchange rate at which the producers of a certain good have to exchange. No, it's it's a it's an inflationary tax. It's a it's a it's an exchange rate tax. Basically, uh, they allow soldier exporters to exchange the the dollars that they receive from their exports at an exchange rate that is slightly better than the official rate, etc. And but and they have. They even have a, what they call a dollar, a dollar called play, cold play, you know, like the band. So it's such an insanity that, the, for example, there's a different exchange rate for Argentine, Argentine citizens that exchange their dollars for pesos and uh, for foreign citizens that do the same. You know? um, and there's more than 10 exchange rates. All of those exchange rates are not exchange rates set up by the market. They are simply the, uh, that the government does not let you keep the dollars that you have generated, forces you to convert them at 
a rate depending on the industry or the or the sector that you work in and gives you pesos so basically what the government is literally doing is stealing the dollars generated by the uh, exporting and uh, uh, producing part of the economy uh, to increase their reserves as much as they can at the expense of making everybody poorer well we've probably asked enough of daniel already Let, let's let's ask my favorite cynic saint Ange, peter saint Ange from heritage i know you've been following it this week give us maybe the u.s spin on on uh, whether they're gonna whether you know whether the western media are gonna uh try this guy in the court of public opinion before he even wins. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's absolutely no doubt of that. You know, there was a story recently about a uh, lesbian speed dating service that wasn't letting men in and they're calling them far right. So pretty much anybody who differs in any way from the official narrative is far right at this point. But uh, I mean, of course, nobody in Argentina cares what the American media says, thankfully. And sort of the bigger issue here, of course, is that as in America, most people's response to corruption and incompetence is to fire the bastards and hire the other bastards and the other party. And so, as Danielle was saying, you know, there are still probably a lot of people in Argentina who live in La La Land who imagine that government is going to pull a rabbit out of their hat. And the question is, at what point do they give up and actually go for an outsider? I'm shocked Argentinians have been putting up with it as long as they have. Uh, but that seems to be the big question. Jeff, you there? Yeah, Americans have put up with a lot as well. And at some point that bubbles up into a Trump. And um, yeah. this this pasty guy singing Richmond north of Richmond. So I like that. But it, it seems like there's the same animating impulse that's really breaking out all over the world. And people people smell around. I wanted to ask Jordan real quick. Um, he's with us. I see Jordan Schachtel. Uh, if you don't if you don't know him, he's got the dossier, which is his Substack. Um, you know, Jordan, when I'm looking at this guy, I think, first of all, everything's far right everything that the Western media folks don't like. And then they're going to try to throw them in with Bolsonaro, uh, with Georgia Maloney in uh, Italy, with Nigel Farage in the UK, uh, with Bukele guy, if I'm saying that correctly, in El Salvador. I mean, in other words, we have to be told that this guy's bad uh, before we get any further. Hey, Jeff, thanks for having me. It's, it's been a great panel so far. Yeah, I, I think that the corporate media is completely out to get him. And you could look no further. Um, I published at the dossier on Substack and I kind of compiled a bunch of these media headlines and they're all using the same far right label. And, you know, when they mean far right, they want you to think of basically like the second coming of Hitler. They don't want you to think of like a libertarian. So they're clearly trying to smear this guy because he's really, you know, he, he's setting the tone and this kind of like populist anti-establishment movement that's definitely building throughout Latin America. I mean, you talked about Bukele and Bolsonaro. Um, you know, Bukele now has over 90% approval rating in El Salvador. And I think that they're, you know, that what they're most terrified about is that people will actually like him and he will, you know, kind of 
Um, we speak about, I think in America, we speak about wealth inequality, or at least like the right, you know, the traditional Republican right speaks about wealth inequality as if it's like a taboo topic because, you know, they don't want to talk about the money printer and central banking and how, you know, the wealth distribution is all messed up and how we don't really live in a capitalist system. But once you kind of open that Pandora's box, um, you know, it, it's it's very true that, you know, we live in an unequal and unjust system. And I think that's what Malay has really exposed, um, especially in South America. It's, it's incredible for me to see the, these these headlines just, you know, viciously targeting him. Like now he's responsible for the peso um, going, going up exponentially after declaring that, you know, he's going to try to shift at least dollarize temporarily. So they're trying to, you know, similar to what they did to Donald Trump, what they did to Bukele, what they what they did successfully, unfortunately, to Bolsonaro is just, you know, if you look at the Wikipedia entry for this guy, it's just one label after another. They're, they're just going all out. And, and, you know, we speak about a uniparty, you know, in the United States and the broader Western world. Um, the, the, the institutions that are labeling Malay far right go from the New York Times all the way to the Wall Street Journal. So there's, you know, very much a consensus in the corporate media that I think this is they think this is a bad guy that they do not want to have the seat of power in Argentina. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Um, I know we've got a fair number of Argentines in the space. Um, can we ask um, Ignacio to join? Is he there? Ignacio Manuel, I, I invited him to speak. Hi, Jeff. Uh, just wanted to reach you out to mention that many people here in the space are are part of La Libertad Avanza, which is uh, the Millet's party, uh, especially here. Agustin Romo is present. He's an official. He will be most likely an official uh, legislator uh, for Argentina's province of Buenos Aires. So I think there's a lot of value in hearing what he may have to say. And uh, of course, uh, all of the things that all the people that, that are here from Libertad Avanza, which are, are many, uh, you know, we have many things to say. We can also clarify a lot of stuff uh, about Millet, about his history. Okay, well, let's, about, why, why, uh, why don't you start with what, what, what do average people think of him? Do they think he's crazy like a lot of Americans thought about Trump? Or do they actually listen to what he says about central banks and inflation? Well, he started out as a crazy guy uh, speaking on television. And, with you know, the continuous flow of, of, of things here in Argentina, rampant inflation above 100%. Uh, people started listening, people started shifting their perspectives, and, well, it was a surprise. Uh, I, I think that no, not even Millet uh, expected the, the result from, from uh, last Sunday. So uh, I guess it, it was a surprise for, for all of us who are part of Libertad Avanza. I think we, 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 were, um, we were not prepared, and... Even if even if it's if it's um, if it's you know probable that he he will win, the truth is that uh, 
the teams, you know, the, the core teams are, are not really prepared because, again, the result was unexpected. So there are many things to do in, in order to, you know, uh, govern. Yeah, I'm sure there are. So stay with us. You know, we'll, we, we might come back to you. I appreciate you joining. I want to get my, my good friend, Danny McAdams, Ron Paul Institute, Daniel. <laughs> we, we love it when politicians say something libertarian, especially this guy who goes scorched earth. That, that is assuming that the, um, it, you know, the subtitles that we get, which are um, translated into English, are reasonably correct about some of the things he said. But then again, we tend to get ahead of ourselves. So oftentimes we fall for the latest, greatest flavor of libertarian astroturf, whether that's in the U.S., or whether that's abroad. I mean, we'll go back to some of the Argentines. We might have to go more than an hour today, folks, because we got so many people who want to say something, and this is such a great topic. But Daniel, um, you know, I don't know where this guy came from. Obviously, most of us in America, we're, we are woefully uh, uneducated about politics in other countries. So just give us your thoughts and maybe some skepticism. Daniel McAdams, are you there, buddy? I see him listed as a speaker. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Hey, Sorry, I, I didn't. I didn't unmute myself. Thanks for inviting me wives, on. I'll keep our a... wives need that mute button. <laughs> yeah, my brain needs it. Um, I'm going to keep it short because you do have a lot of speakers, uh, and I just want to preface it by saying it's not my place to decide what's good for Argentina, as you point out. We know very little about it, even. Uh, and I'm sure Danielle knows quite a bit more than I do, but even those of us who travel there uh, know less about it. I know very little about it, so it's not my position to say whether he will be good for the country or not. In fact, I have absolutely no idea, which is why my position has always been to uh, to stay away from telling other countries uh, who's good and who's bad for them. Uh, but I, I will say, um, because I've seen several headlines saying, is Millet the new Ron Paul? Uh, is this the Ron Paul revolution? The answer is a categoric no. Um, the positions that he takes are categorically opposed to Ron Paul's positions, uh, particularly when you look at his foreign policy, uh, which, interestingly enough, tracks identically with the foreign policy of the U.S. foreign policy blob, the regime that runs Washington, whether you elect Democrats or Republicans. He's absolutely on message when it comes to Ukraine and Russia. He's absolutely on message when it comes to China. He calls China assassins. Uh, he says, I would never promote relations with Cuba, Venezuela, North Korea, Nicaragua, or China, uh, et, and et cetera, et cetera. So certainly when it comes to these areas, he's no Ron Paul. Ron Paul would never say this. Uh, I do not claim to be an economist. I do know that there's a lot of concern in Washington about de-dollarization. And it seems to me that Argentina embracing re-dollarization or dollarization uh, would give some people in D.C. who are nervous about this, about the global south increasingly disconnecting from the dollar to be concerned. Um, uh, you know, a couple of other things. He certainly does not hate the U.S. Federal Reserve. In fact, uh, Ben Bernanke, he said, is his favorite Fed chair, not Volcker. Uh, and he was hoping that Larry Summers would take over for Bernanke when he was gone. And I'm not trying to trash the man again. Uh, you know, if, if he does a good job in, in Argentina, Hats off to him. I just don't like this idea that we have to go looking for libertarian heroes. You know, we've been through that with people like Boris Johnson, with with uh, Bolsonaro. 
uh, over and over again. Uh, there is no Ron Paul moment overseas. It was a very unique moment that happened in the United States. Conditions are very different. History is very different. And we can't expect to find it. And, you know, there are a lot of libertarian Trotskyites who believe that we can export libertarianism as we, as some people understand it here in the U.S. And I just absolutely reject that idea. And if I can say one more thing, Jeff, I'm sorry. To, I appreciate your uh, the accommodation of your time. And I have enormous respect for Jordan Schachtel. Uh, who I think is a great analyst, but I happen to also disagree about the press coverage from what I've seen uh, of Millet. Um, yes, there are there are catchwords that are repeated every time. That's how the media works. He has to always be considered far right. You've got to put that in your article if you're going to publish it. But for example, if you look at a piece recently in the Washington Post, who is Javier Millet, Argentina, Argentina's right-wing presidential frontrunner, and then you actually read the article, I would put forth that this is a very sympathetic piece, considering that they are describing someone who normally the Washington Post, if he were an enemy of the U.S. regime, if he were an enemy of the central bankers and the neocons, he would be presented in far different terms. Anyone who disagrees with that should go and look for a, any, any portrayal of someone like Putin or Lukashenko or Xi even or anyone else who was not part, who was not in favor of the U.S. regime. Mm. The final wow. thing I will say is that, yes, he is a populist, and that is great, and they call him a far-right populist. But don't forget that people in D.C. and the regime, they embrace very strongly the dialectical materialism. And if you find that a populist populism is inevitable, you better jump on that horse and make sure that you guide it in the right way. So sorry for taking a lot of your time, but those are just my two cents on the issue. No, that, I appreciate all that, and I'm looking for that gloss because, you know, I want to think of Malay in terms of, obviously, this is a somewhat U.S.-centric audience, and so we need to be checking our own premises, our own media, our own government. And, it, you know, how ironic, why, why does the guy whose country is in the midst of what Daniel Kai says is a worse crisis than uh, 2000, who's got runaway inflation, food prices, um, why, why does he have to talk about China and Ukraine at all? Why does he have to opine as to his favorite U.S. Fed chair? I mean, it just goes to show you that politicians around the world, it's the carrot and the stick. You know, Uncle Sam is either going to bless you or he's going to oppose you. And, and so, it, you know, no matter how legit Malay might be, he, it's, it's interesting that he feels the need uh, to say those kinds of things to uh, apparently, um, you know, appease uh, the the great Uncle Sam up to his north. Let's let's uh, we're going to get back to Daniel and some other people if they can hang around. But let's get EJ Antoni from Heritage because uh, there's just a lot going on here, EJ. So give us your thoughts, please. Certainly, I mean it. I will say first of all, it's a breath of fresh air. Uh, to get someone in there who, despite all of his faults, as some people have already pointed them out, uh, is not simply parroting, uh, uh, parroting, that is, all of the previous lines from previous leaders uh, in Argentina about like restructuring debt, for example. And, you know, essentially what, what the country has gone through to date um, has been a, a series of maneuvers that have only kicked the can down the road. Uh, put it further and further in hock to other nations, including Uncle Sam, as as you were just saying. I mean, maybe the reason why so many of these 
uh, countries around the world are constantly trying to bend the knee to Uncle Sam is that they owe him so much money, which they can never repay. And then their only hope is to uh, constantly roll over that debt and to hopefully get some of it forgiven, uh, either by the U.S. or maybe the IMF, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and I think we're we're at a point, not just in Argentina, but around the world, where the status quo uh, simply cannot be maintained. And and that's true in, in a lot of uh, ways socially, on social policy. It's true, certainly, uh, in terms of fiscal policy. And it is 100% true in terms of monetary policy. A- as far as monetary policy specifically is concerned, uh, I think the question is, if the current course is not sustainable, then where do we go? And it's either further off the deep end, to things like a CBDC, or it's back to sound money, and and hopefully, you know, again, hopefully, uh, the the new regime in Argentina is going to take us more towards sound money and and less away from uh, uh, the current course, which is not only one of things like hyperinflation, but also something that will eventually lead to a CBDC, which as I'm sure all the listeners know, uh, is, um, is essentially, you know, that, that Orwellian step from which you likely can never come back. Yeah, it's interesting. We've all been beaten down so badly by politics. And of course, that's, that's even worse in countries that are less materially well off that have suffered more than us. We're so beaten down by politics. We're so eager to hear what we want to hear. Um, we jump at the opportunity when someone comes along and says things. I mean, Trump, Back in 2015, 2016, um, I, I don't think he was astroturfed or deep stated. I think he was he, he was really just someone crazy uh, talk show TV reality star who came along and surprised the establishment with this populist groundswell. And then the, the Clinton regime thought that she would beat him easily. And so they wanted him versus Scott Walker and Jeb Bush and all the other candidates. And then they were just surprised. I mean, that's my opinion. Some people think Trump is all astroturfed. I mean, who knows? But nonetheless, you know, he turned out to be a huge disappointment when it came to draining the swamp, uh, doing all kinds of things in any meaningful way. So, um, you know, let's let's go to David Waugh from CoinBits app. Um, and, and I want to get back to Daniel Lakai if he could stay. But, um, David, I, I know I invited you to speak and I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jeff. And I Really appreciate the context that Daniel added about Malay's uh, foreign policy takes. What I'd like to add is just a little bit more context surrounding how the media is treating uh, Malay. It's not just far right, that label that they've slapped him with. It's also accusing him of disturbing markets. A headline from Bloomberg was, why Argentina's Trump-like candidate is disturbing markets. What? Yeah, they did the same thing with Bukele. It's it's the playbook, right? It's not just far right. It's that these are destabilizing things, right? And they did the same thing with Bukele, like like last year when he he rejected the IMF, and now El Salvador's yeah. global bonds have returned. How, how dare how dare the Argentines consider electing a guy who impacts my four hundred one k by two percent? Yeah, it, exactly. And and I think that that's just another thing that I I'm really. I'm hopeful about what he's proposed uh, from an economic perspective. I think that, you know, eliminating the central bank and, and dollarizing, that's really interesting. But also he's he's promised to take the financial system uh, from from fractional reserve to one that separates 
fully reserved demand deposits and in other investment banks and investment banking and, and time deposits. So that'll be really interesting to see in addition to, you know, aggressively tackling runaway fiscal policies and, and, and take tackling the fiscal issues as well as the monetary ones. So it's from, you know, foreign policy aside, I think that what he's proposed, you know, from an economic perspective is obviously deeply offensive to media elites and, and others, but will be really interesting to see. If we could go back uh, to Ignacio Manuel, could, could you just give us your thoughts? Is this guy astroturfed? Is he legit? Um, where, where did he come from well, I know, as a politician? Uh, how, did, guy, how was he funded? Well, the, the guy is legit. He's, he's not even funded here in Argentina. I mean, uh, all the money that came to the campaign was basically raised by, by people who wanted to be part of it. Uh, he's not a guy, he, he's not a corporal guy, you know. His origins, uh, he, he had a, like, uh, I guess, three or four years ago, a photo in the World Economic Forum, which one might think that it's something, it's, it's a place where, where you, you wouldn't be if you weren't part of that establishment. But um, it is also true that he, he stepped out of it. He stepped out of, of, the, of, the, of the previous jobs that he had that, uh, that were connected to, or that might have been connected to the World Economic Forum, such as Aeropuertos Argentina 2000, which is a, a major company, a major player here in the country, uh, I, in, this is my opinion, okay? The guy is legit. The guy is legit. He's also an Atlantist. He, he, sorry, he's the, a you know, the, the French. Can you repeat that? Atlantist. Okay, gotcha. Atlantist. Thank you. Okay. Uh, he, his friendships all over the world are basically, um, if you take a look at the, uh, you know, at the friends he has in, in international terms, the group that, that, where, where, where he finds where, where he finds himself better is ECR of the, the you know the European Union conservative and reformists those are his friends um, he he was invited to a, to a conference with with box the the, the the Spanish party and Daniel here uh, won't let me lie about it um, he was invited. Uh, he was also invited by, or, or, or had a, a chat at least with uh, Fratelli d'Italia, and of course he's he's a great friend of of Bolsonaro. So I guess uh, my best guess is he's he's basically a a classical conservative in international terms in in foreign affairs, and he has also you know he he had he, I mean. He's a very Argentinian guy. He's not that into uh, the international flows okay. of influences. Is, is he? Is he rich? So he, he's, a new, he's he's brand new. You know, right, he, he, he's he personally he, he's wealthy enough to to withstand all this. Uh, no, no, not at all. He 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 um, basically he. Gives uh, you know uh, conferences, but of of course uh, no, he he's not a, a, the type of guy that that has a million dollars in his bank account, not at all. Okay, well, well, I mean, there's there's some interesting points here. Thank you, Ignacio. I, I mean, you know, Trump 
was friends with the Clintons. Trump had his picture taken with all kinds of globalists and before he got elected. And then all of a sudden, he's going to drain the swamp. So, you know, we can understand that. But also, I think one of the best measures of whether Trump was real or astroturf is, is very simple. His life and, and personal finances were made worse by having been president. I mean, we haven't had a president since Truman, maybe Eisenhower, who was made worse off by being president, right? I mean, Truman had to go home and live with his mother-in-law because he was so damn broke, and the Congress was embarrassed, so they had to, to, to pass a, a, a pension for ex-presidents so he wouldn't be broke. And Harding was the only, I, I forget who was the only other president alive at the time, but um, Hoover, I'm sorry, Herbert Hoover, who was wealthy. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that if a, a good measure o- over the coming months or years of whether Malay is legit is might be whether he's made worse off personally, professionally, financially, uh, you know, and in other words, he's sticking his neck out. So um, let's go back to Daniel Akai, because I know he's probably been listening to a lot of this and he's, he's with us tonight in Madrid. So, Daniel, why don't you give us some more thoughts? Well, thank you so much. I think that I would like to start by saying that uh, international policy is not what uh, Javier Milei is about in these elections. Those comments that have been compiled by the media come from, uh, I don't know, years of different media appearances. And as someone who's all the time on TV, if I was to go on politics and you wanted to bring headlines from things that I have said in the past 10 years, I don't even want to know. But so I think that that is an important thing. He is not, uh, international policy is not what defines is he, is he, a, is he a globalist? No, I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call him okay. a globalist. I wouldn't call him um, in that's in the in the sense that that we are used to in the United States. Uh, from the pers- I think that this is extremely important. Javier Millet is all about economics, and then he has added other things once he's gotten into politics. But it's all about economics. It's about. Uh, providing uh, school and health checks instead of a publicly managed and publicly uh, controlled system. He's about the fiscal policy. He's about the monetary policy and particularly monetary policy. So I think that that is, it's important to understand that. Um, I find it exceedingly uh, hilarious to hear that uh, he is uh, blamed for the weakness of the peso, a currency that has lost 40% of its value every three months in the past 10 years. So I think that ultimately what what we need to understand about the phenomenon that Javier Millet is, is that if you strip out all of the different adjectives and the different uh, uh, messages and, and labels that have been provided or, or, or placed on him, the reality of what we're seeing is that is that he is leading a movement that is destroying what on the other side of the uh, 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 of the world in the developed economies is unfortunately rising, which is the modern monetary theory. This is somebody that is explained to the people in his country 
But the elephant in the room is not the supermarket, is not the uh, gas station, is not the restaurant. Those are not the ones that rise prices, but the monster monetary policy. And now people understand it. And this is something that is a huge leap forward for the defenders of freedom. Because it is so difficult to get to to get citizens all over the world to understand that what is making them poorer is not the supermarket, the shop, or the or the gas station, but the issuer of the currency and why. And this is the key. And the Argentines understand why because they see, and yet to the point that you just mentioned, Jeff. Cristina Fernández de Kirchner, de Kirchner is a multimillionaire. Mr. Fernández is a multimillionaire. In Argentina, presidents become multimillionaires in U.S. or European ways. And I, I find it almost uh, candid to hear Mr. Ignacio say a million dollars in a bank account. We're talking about billions. So the, the interesting thing here is that he has been able to connect for the people the understanding that the central bank is an arm of a government that is making you, the citizen, poorer in order to make the very small political elite immensely rich. And that element is a huge difference that is also it's very important in El Salvador, which obviously doesn't have the problem of the local currency, but that is, ex that is also going to be very important in Colombia and Chile, which unfortunately have just embraced politicians that uh, are trying to convince people that the Venezuela and Argentine monetary policy would work if they implemented them. So those are the things that I would highlight. I, I think it's very easy to put labels on Javier Milei because, and I know that personally as a relatively well-known media personality, because his public and media persona have uh, uh, overshadowed what would have been uh, 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 what would have been something that most of us would have certainly embraced. I think that he is a very, he's a breath of fresh air. He may not win, but the most important thing about the Millet, uh this, this, this uh, uh, situation is that what he has opened cannot be closed. He has opened Pandora's box of making people understand that what makes them poorer is not capitalism, is not free markets, is not supermarkets, is extractive and confiscatory monetary policy. And obviously, he, you know, he is running for president. Once you run for president, they're going to ask you about numerous things. But I think that what is important is that we understand that this is in this era of central bank digital currency uh, experiments, in this era of uh, trying to tell us that it's progressive to do what the Peronist government have done in Argentina, whilst calling far right uh, a libertarian, I think it's very important that he, uh, that this phenomenon becomes 
a let's say a stepping point in a much wider uh, revolution of making people understand money. Well, I have to say, some of his public appearances have been incredible. I mean, the guy can absolutely explain the history of money from basically an Austrian perspective and how money today is a scam and attack the central bank in ways wildly beyond what any viable candidate in the United States other than Ron Paul has ever even attempted. Um, and of course, of course his, you know, he came out not, not only with, with support for Bitcoin, but an explanation of why people in Argentina might be hungry for an alternative. So I guess I'll open it up to the panel. I mean, just, just talk, please don't talk. Robert, I'm just going to, you know, what, what, what about it? I'm just going, if you don't mind, sorry, Jeff, I'm just going to say goodbye to everyone because I'm boarding a plane, but I thank you very, okay. very much for the opportunity to be here. And thanks everyone for, for listening. So let's, let's just ask panelists, jump in, but don't talk over each other. What, what about Bitcoin? What, what role does that play in this campaign potentially? Um, I, I could jump in for a second, and then if uh, David wants to say something, uh, I, you know, I, I think that there are some Bitcoiners who don't like the fact that he wants to dollarize, but you know, the reality of facing hyperinflation and trying to educate an entire population on the merits of Bitcoin it will take some time. So I think what he's doing is fine in prioritizing getting rid of the current national currency, or at least, you know, departing from it a little bit. Um, and, um, you know, again, like uh, super enthusiastic about a guy that actually understands Austrian economics. So, you know, that separates him from basically 100% of the elected uh, federal politicians in the United States. So to me, you know, that's super encouraging. And I think the, the upsides are uh, so much bigger than the downsides you know this is you it, even as you, know, you can't be a master of all crafts so you know there's so many different issues that a politician needs to be able to discuss but i think you know the most important thing is understanding uh, monetary policy especially in this global fiat environment you know who who else on who else in a national level is like burning the central bank in, in effigy you know he very much understands economics and i'm, I'm so encouraged as a bitcoiner that he's very enthusiastic about Bitcoin too. And I want to add, um, and maybe Ignacio can speak to this, but I don't know to what degree Bukele in El Salvador has been influential. I think he's quite popular across Latin America among sort of populist-minded voters. And of course, he's put Bitcoin really front and center, sort of at the center of the anti-inflation uh, monetary populist movement. Maybe Ignacio has thoughts on that, though. Well, yes, uh, Bukele is, is basically well-known here in Argentina, too. Um, he's not a superhero, as Javier Millet might be. But, uh, yes, we, we tend to follow uh, international trends, just as any other country. Um, there's a candidate here... Uh, a minor candidate called uh, Cuneo, which ran a campaign only on the fact to be uh, like Bukele, you know? He wants to be compared to Bukele, so basically ran a campaign just with that message. And it, it, was, uh, it was pretty, you know, hilarious because, of course, 
most of the people in Argentina are not well uh, educated in terms of international policy. So uh, it's it's more like a, a whistle for, for, for a few people. But yes, uh, Bitcoin in Argentina has been uh, really influential in the last, I guess, four or five years because of this rampant inflation above above a hundred percent and we are uh, we are among the, 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 the top 10 countries that have adopted Bitcoin even the you know uh, I guess if I had to say a number uh, uh, I, I would say that three in ten Argentinians have adopted some type of of cryptocurrency or at least have a wallet three out of ten it's a lot really are you talking about the country as a whole, or are you talking yes. about the laptop class? Yes, I'm talking about the country as a whole, wow. because uh, the, the, the wallet industry here in Argentina is, is well, really well developed. Uh, we have uh, major players, uh, and you can look them out on, look them out on Google, like um, Belo, Lemon, yes. Uh, among others, so so yes, uh, I would say that three three out of ten. So, and, and I mean, mean, I'm sorry, David. Sorry, sorry, David, and sorry, Jeff. And if I had to say a number in the higher classes, or or in the middle class, I would say that that number would go up even like half of the population. Yeah, see, America, we, we Americans don't realize the luxury we have or had, perhaps until recently, with our dollar. David, I know you have something. Oh, I was just going to add that. Uh, yeah, in, in addition to Bitcoin, uh, you know, how it's it's really been interesting and, and beneficial that uh, I think, as most people know on this call, uh, Tether and you know US USDT has has been a, a really helpful thing for Argentinians to be able to access dollars. And then also, you know, Tether is very pro Bitcoin as a, as a company. So as a potential gateway, I think that it's very promising. And just another thing that I'd like to add that I thought, you know, it's, it's kind of silly, but it's also worth mentioning is that Malay has, he has five Mastiff dogs. They're all clones of the same dog. And <laughs> One is named Friedman, which we'll forgive him for. One is named Rothbard. Two named Robert Lucas, which, again, he gets a pass. And then one named Conan, presumably after Conan the Barbarian. So when I see that, I think, like, he's got to be legit is just uh, the takeaway from that kind of fun fact. Well, I'm embarrassed to say I don't know. Does he have a wife and kids? Instead, Five Mastiffs is great. Does he have a wife and kids? The future? No, he, he hasn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Well, look, look, we're we're counting on these Catholic countries to help us out here. Uh, Americans are falling down on the job. Um, so, uh, so, so let's let's go back to uh, Jordan, if we can. I mean, it, it seems to me that there's so many parallels here, not just politically, not otherwise, to the Trump phenomenon. Is is this guy going to get the same treatment as as Trump? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it seems to be the case right now, um, especially the political establishment. I, I think, you know, I am no Argentina expert, 
but the way that the system is described, you know, in which they're basically using the money printer and the dollar exchange system to enrich the elites. And you have this guy coming in, speaking to this problem in an eloquent manner and, and in a correct manner. Um, he certainly poses a threat to at least the domestic ruling class. And as we've seen with Bukele, you know, they tried to destroy Bukele um, because he had very similar issues, more so with the broader fiat system. But I think that's the next step. I, I mean, the, the, the question really is, can these elites who you know, form much of an idiocracy in the same way, um, do they actually even understand what Malay's critique is about the, the system? I think in Argentina, they probably do. But it, it, it would be very interesting to see how they chart that course moving forward, because um, Donald Trump is much more blunt in his language about, you know, taking on the administrative state, naming individuals by name. And I think Malay's strategy is a little different because he's talking about institutions and ideas. Um, but it does seem like, you know, they're starting to get everything in order to wage kind of this full. I wouldn't at all be surprised to see a, a massive, uh, you know, media and, you know, kind of even like in foreign intelligence agencies starting to um, not be so happy with him. Yeah. If, if you look at his rhetoric, I mean, this will be a full scale war to blunt his power. And, and I believe the Argentine presidency is, is already perhaps not as powerful as the U.S., at least in terms of media access and, and bully pulpit. So that's, that's interesting. And people need to understand, um, you know, when, when uh, Ignacio Manuel talks about 30% of Argentinians maybe having wallets or having at least familiarity with how Bitcoin works mechanically, I'm going to look more into that. Uh, but again, just 20 years ago, a little more than 20 years ago, they literally the, the government stopped paying bonds, stopped paying on bonds. I mean, they negotiated ultimately a 70% haircut on Argentinian bonds. Um, you know, you think that can't happen here? Well, Argentina is not, Argentina is a big country, a wealthy country, as Daniel Lakai said. Ar Argentina is, you know, ha has had real crises uh, within the very recent memory of people who were, on this call and otherwise. So th this isn't some far-fetched thing. And I think Westerners ought to be looking at this and learning from this and treating it as a cautionary tale. Uh, let, let's get back to St. Ange, comma, Peter, Professor St. Ange, because uh, I know he's got always got something to say. That's a compliment, Peter. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what? Wait a minute, on that topic. Um, so, yeah, I think absolutely. They're going to go after him. Uh, there are a lot of people who were concerned that there will be some three-letter agency type thing. Uh, I, you know, don't really expect that, partly just because I think they've gotten a lot stupider at the top. You know, if we look at what Biden did to the dollar over the past year, sanctioning the Russian central bank, uh, I, I, I don't think this is quite the three-letter agency that our grandparents were dealing with. They've done a lot of own goals. Uh, I think, honestly, at this point, that if you look at the kinds of goals that the U.S. government pursues, they tend to be catering a lot more towards radical activists. You know, if, uh, if you look at Uganda, for example, they were sanctioning Uganda over their gay laws. I think they've sort of lost the plot 
in that classic hypothesis that the U.S. is, is sort of this puppet master over the entire world economy. I think at this point, they're just short-sighted, living for the day, um, you know, sort of the roving bandits uh, getting what they can for the next opinion poll. So I imagine that the U.S. government is not thrilled or wouldn't be thrilled with Malay as president. They have, you know, harassed and given Bukele some trouble in El Salvador. But in terms of mounting some grand operation to give him an exploding cigar or something, I don't think that's in the cards. We're in a brave new world where it seems like pushing on the string doesn't produce the same results. And I got to think that the Brazilians are looking at this. I mean, Lula, it seems like the other direction. Obviously, that's a bigger country. But, um, you know, these earthquakes around Latin America are these at least tremors. We've got the D.C. foreign policy establishment fixated on Ukraine, China, Taiwan. We've got the Treasury slash central banker types basically pushing on a string with, with respect to raising interest rates and trying to quell inflation, which I don't think they're going to be able to do simultaneously. And now we've got Latin America heating up, presumably, um, at least politically. So that strikes me as um, an, another front that we are too tired to deal with. So maybe there's an opportunity here uh, for some things to happen without Uncle Sam having the bandwidth to try to step in and, uh, and mac you know, do, do the kind of machinations we're used to. There is. And, you know, one of the things that changed the chessboard recently is China now going through all this trouble. So, you know, Chinese financial markets, manufacturing, their home builders, they are absolutely collapsing. China has hit the panic button. So I think if we had this conversation three weeks ago, we'd be talking about what how China is going to take advantage of this and keep trying to uh, sort of divide the U.S. from its traditional clients. I think we're in we're in a much messier <laughs> world at this point. All right. Can can we go back to uh, Ignacio? It looks like he's still with us. I, I mean, let me just ask you, and I'm sorry to put so much on you, but um, first of all, can he win? Is he going to win? What, what are the reasonable chances? Well, the, the consensus right now is that he is uh, the candidate with the most chances of, of winning of an election on of an electoral victory. Wells Fargo, the, the bank, the American bank, uh, said that th these chances were 65%. I don't really know. Uh, I, I do believe that he's the, he's the favorite right now. Uh, but I also believe that there will be a lot of pressures, uh, basically because he's not an establishment guy. And there's a campaign ongoing right now that, that's trying to... Um, you know, push people into uh, not voting for Javier Mirey because uh, he might he might uh, cause uh, basically a, a major chaos in the country. Uh, there are many people who will lose lots of privileges in, in in terms of you know the unions here in Argentina. Unions are very powerful. Um, the industry, national industries, which are being protected, uh, in and and consumers are, are are paying a lot more for goods and services that that they should pay uh, much less 
if if imports were were open. So there are lots of of privileges uh, that Millet is is trying to you know uh, to touch to 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 take away. Um, the United States, the embassy here, has stated that Millet uh, is 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 a legit competitor, but they are really concerned about the you know the the, the diplomatic ties because Millet is, is is a friend of Bolsonaro, is a is a friend of or or might be a friend of Trump, and again it's a, it's a friend of the conservative of of Europe, so it's not the type of 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 diplomatic ties that an, a Democrat embassy here wants to have. So they are concerned and, and markets have, have, um, have failed basically because there, there are reasons to believe that Javier Millet might not be uh, prepared in terms of the teams that he actually has uh, in, in, at this moment at least because Again, this was unexpected. So there's a there's a problem of of governmental affairs. You know, the possibility of 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 winning is not the same as the possibility of actually uh, carrying out public policy. He, if he's elected, he would he would have the third uh, minority uh, of of the Congress. So he he will have to. He will have to negotiate. He will have to uh, parlay a lot. So it's it's not straightforward that he will have the you know the power to carry out all of these um, all of these changes. You know, thanks for that. Everything you just said reminds me so much of Trump going into 2017 when he was inaugurated. You know, he's never been a politician. He's not prepared. He doesn't have the cabinet ready. He's not you know this and that. The markets are going to fall. And you know what? If you've got 100% inflation, what do you got to lose? I mean, you know, try something different. My gosh, this is just unbelievable. It's a great story. Exactly. I, 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 totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's why I'm part of Libertad Avanza, as, as many of these of, of the people in, in the space here uh, are. There are many Argentinians here uh, listening. Well, I think we got to wrap it up. Uh, unfortunately, I want to thank all of our speakers. We had some great speakers today. Please follow them. Um, you know, Jordan Shackle's got a great Substack, which I read. Uh, Peter St. Ange is doing the best uh, short take videos on the econ of the day. Uh, EJ's articles at Heritage, EJ Antonio, he he's really gets into the nitty gritty of economic data that's happening right now and then, and then framing it. Uh, he writes great articles. Uh, Daniel, I think, left. Daniel's over at Ron Paul Institute. They do a YouTube show every day at 11. Uh, Central, which is which is always good. David Waugh, our friend, uh, used to be at AIER, and he's now at the CoinBits app, so he's really in the, the Bitcoin world and straddling, sort of as I am, uh, the Bitcoin slash Austrian slash gold world. So please give all these people a follow. Alejandro Schofen was with us earlier. Unfortunately, he had to go. Um, many of you know his name. Um, he's been around uh, free market policy, free market think tanks, and Latin American policy for a long time. So I'm going to try to connect with him with the recording. Uh, we always uh, turn these into YouTube, which will go live in a few days. Oftentimes, Zero Hedge runs with that YouTube, so you might find it there as well. And uh, thanks to everybody. We'll be back with a space next Friday at 2 
p.m. Eastern. Really appreciate everybody. Thank you so much, Ignacio, for joining. Um, great to talk to all of you. Um, all of our thoughts and prayers are Thank with you too, people in um, Argentina. So have a great weekend. Bye now.